so there's a lot of things that we're a little bit afraid of. I think it's, you know, not only focusing on the recruitment piece, bringing the right people into your culture, the retention piece is big though, too, because you have to have the right culture that these people are going to want to not only come into, but to stay. Hi, I'm Glennis Markison from Happy Co. Welcome to Voices, where we feature fresh perspectives in multifamily. The industry is now facing a fundamental shift in workplace dynamics, resident experience, and business operations. And season two of Voices will feature multifamily leaders who are actively embracing change. Our guest today is Gina Lemon. She's Vice President of Human Resources at Timberland Partners, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Gina has over 20 years of experience in human resources, including roles at Fortune 500 companies that include UPS, Target, and Ameriprise Financial. In a push to prevent turnover at Timberland Partners, Gina has been working to fundamentally change the way the company selects and grows talent. Today on Voices, Gina discussed how she's making this happen, from identifying turnover trends to researching hiring strategies to getting manager buy-in, and of course, the results. Thank you so much for joining us, Gina. Thank you, Glennis. This is wonderful. I appreciate you uh, spotlighting our company. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious if you could just get us started by telling us a little bit about your growth in human resources, just going from Fortune 500 to multifamily. Definitely. Well, I started my career out in UPS. I was a recruiter for them. And then I moved my way over to Target, where I really focused for five years of my career on benefits. And then I just wanted more. So I went over to Ameriprise Financial and went into a different area of human resources, focusing on employee relations. And then uh, the stock market crash happened and I had the opportunity to redefine my career yet again and really said to myself that I wanted to focus on more uh, variety instead of going deep in all these functional areas of HR. So I went over to a defense contractor and was a generalist. And, uh, you know, as I've grown in my career, my family has also grown. So I have two small children and really took a look at my values and the uh, life that I wanted to create long-term. And I wanted to come to a smaller company and really focus on my values and gain alignment with those and have really great leadership. And I found Timberland Partners. And uh, what's really funny about my story is that my parents were also in property management when I was a kid. Uh, so my parents were um, caretakers uh, for ZNS Management uh, Company, which is now Stephen Scott in the Minneapolis market. So I, uh, I started in property management and maybe I'll finish my career in property management. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a wonderful backstory. I mean, I'm curious, especially the environment at Timberland. What drew you to that environment when you could have kind of joined any multifamily company, especially with your family roots? Yeah, definitely. I think definitely the president of the company, Bob Franson, it's a family-based business and I had never worked in the family-based business. So that was very intriguing. And Bob is a very inspirational leader. So he has built this culture of trust and transparency and authenticity. And that really drew me in. It wasn't that he was just talking the talk. I think our company really walks the walk. When I came in, everyone knew the vision, mission, and guiding principles. And I have never worked for a company where every single team member uh, not only could recite those, but really lived them. So it was just a, a completely 180 shift from a culture perspective, what I've experienced in the past. I would experience people walking on top of each other and playing a political game. And this felt more like a family. So that's what drew me in. 
Wow. That's so unusual, honestly, to be able to recite the values. <laughs> I mean, let's right. <laughs> let's talk about rare. Um, so, but I do understand that you were at Tim, you've been there nine years. So the company yeah. triples in size since you first joined and of along this growth period, I understand there was a bit of turnover you saw. So can you kind of describe how that took shape? Definitely. So yeah, I'm coming up on my nine year anniversary in December and we did triple in size. So we had to make sure that we we're really uh, putting together a solid foundation. And we were, were seeing just lots of turnover and we had assessments. Uh, we were very decentralized from a recruiting perspective. And we just wanted to continue to um, build upon the solid foundation because we were going to grow. So we've tripled in size. Uh, we started out with 150 team members and now we're a little over 450. Wow. And we wanted to make sure that we everyone had the right tools to be able to accomplish the job. Um, we also put in really closely to when I started a team member engagement survey. And I think that helped us a lot, just really to be able to hear the concerns of the team members. So we've implemented a lot of different facets and changed a lot of different facets of our company. We put in a manager advisory committee, a service manager advisory committee. We've been doing quarterly conference calls, which every single team member can participate on. Uh, we even have um, yearly uh, annual leadership conferences, although we had to take a pause in 2020, where not only our senior leaders would join that um, here in Minneapolis, but then we would also invite our million dollar sales club winners and we would invite our mentors. So we've developed a mentor program and a green track development program for our team members, just really focused on hearing and listening to the needs of our team members. Yeah, I mean, can you dive in just even more to the the importance of valuing recruitment and retention? I mean, it seems like you were juggling both sides, but I think sometimes people just think, oh, we'll hire the right people and then they'll just grow and it'll be fine. But can you talk about why it's important to really think about both? Yeah, I think it's not just the chicken or the egg. Uh, so I like to use analogies and it's really about, so you can get the right people into the culture. However, if your culture is not able to absorb them and to hear them, I love how everyone talks about millennials and I personally love millennials. <laughs> Thank, <because> you. They're, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not a problem. They're a big enough group and they have a big enough voice. I think what's sad for me as a Gen Xer is like, I've been saying the same thing, but I just didn't have a big enough you know, group or a big enough voice to make change happen. So that's what's disheartening or sad for me is like, we all know how to treat people well. Um, we all know how to create this culture. I think in our society, we're just moving really quickly and we don't take the time to pause and say, what is it that you need? Instead of saying, how are you? We can say, how are you today? Or we can go a little bit deeper and say, how are you feeling today? So there's a lot of things that we're a little bit afraid of. I think it's, you know, not only focusing on the recruitment piece, bringing the right people into your culture, the retention piece is big though too, because you have to have the right culture that these people are going to want to not only come into, but to stay. So if you don't have a culture where everyone can raise their hand and be a leader and speak up, then your people who want to raise their hand and speak up are not going to feel valued. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, part of this puzzle seems to be accountability. And then part of that seems to be alignment. I mean, if you're not on the same page, what are the goals, this and that? Can you talk about those two pieces too, accountability and alignment when you're forming any sort of hiring and culture strategy where, where those play in and why? Definitely. So alignment is really big for me because if our senior leadership team doesn't buy into it, then it's not going to go very far. And everyone wants to have a choice and have an option of whether they participate or not. So I think from an alignment perspective, um, 
I don't care if it's A, B, or C, honestly, but if everyone can say, yeah, it's A, or, oh, yeah, it's B, or, oh, you know what, actually C is the best option, then I think it allows everyone to be at the table and be heard. So alignment is really big because there's more energy and momentum and we can go faster if we take the time in the beginning to go slow and say that, well, there's these three options that I think might work. Uh, And so we did that with how we built our retention and recruitment strategy. And then the accountability is this really big word that we talk a lot about. And I think there's things that are underneath accountability. So you have to have the right tools. Uh, And I shared this analogy with my supervisor. If you tell me to build a house, I don't have the tools in my office to get that done. (laughs) I don't know if our team members have the right tools to get that done. Um, so really I tried to break it down and be really simple and really clear. Like if you want a house, I can build you an awesome post-it note house with my stapler (laughs) and my post-it notes. Right. Right, Um, but if you want me to build a house and I'm going to tell you, you're going to have an outhouse because I'm not going to do plumbing, but if you want a house and you give me a hammer and some nails and some wood, like I might be able to get something that looks like a house done. It, it still won't be up to code. <laughs> right. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> Full disclosure, right? Uh, the house might fall down on you. <laughs> Sign a waiver. <laughs> right. So I think it's one of those things where we love to use these really big words of accountability. And then when you break that down, if people don't have the right tools, then it's just kind of this double-edged sword of like, we're well, not giving me the right tools and now I'm hiring the wrong people. And then you want me to help them be high potential you know, making really good investments for our company. So we just had to back the train way up and say, you know what, we need the right tools. We're very decentralized in our recruiting process. And how, if we give the right tools, then I can hold people accountable. So we really just stripped everything away to say, what does everyone need? And we asked our team members too. We said, what are the things that you need to be more successful? And let's be, let's be honest. We have properties that have maybe four or five people at them. And they might have someone in their positions for a year or two years, but then when they have to hire that leasing consultant, now they haven't touched hiring in two years. Right. So how can I make sure that two years later, someone's still going to know how to hire high potential talent? Because they're not touching it all the time either. They're, you know, managing all of the residents and helping in a lot of other ways, not just focused on the talent acquisition or the development maybe. Yeah, I mean, this is really a great segue into the the type of interviewing you thought would be best to make all these changes possible. So I understand that you were juggling between motivation-based and behavioral. Can you talk about those kind of main differences and in the end, which one you felt would be a better fit? Definitely. Uh, so we have done behavioral-based interviewing, honestly, for my whole career in HR and Timberland Partners was no different. I think behavioral-based interviewing is really the status quo way for how you hire someone. And it's really about asking someone a specific time that they've done something and you get this answer. Sometimes we might even call what I say, leading the witness, where we say, tell me about a time where you positively did something because we all want, <laughs> we all want happy stories, right? Right. We want happy voices, not sad and angry voices. (laughs) (laughs) On the Um, podcast called Voices, yes. I know, right? That's why I'm like, (laughs) you're going to like this. Um, And so what I think is interesting is that you have to be able to have the sad and angry voices be heard so that you can get to happy. Um, It's kind of like COVID right now, right? Like we have to maybe go through the storm to see the rainbow. Um, So what we really did is we heard this woman, Carol Quinn, who founded this motivation-based interviewing process. And we dug in to say, wow, is this really the next 
version of our hiring process. Uh, so I learned a little bit more about her. I read her whole book. Um, and then we said, you know what, I don't have the expertise to really lead this, but let's uh, have one of her consultants come in and lead us through some training. So we got all of our regional vice presidents, our senior vice president of property management, our chief operating officer, myself, and all of the regional managers. So really our senior leadership team for the field. And we said, here's the training. What do you think? And the training was really great because I even didn't know what was coming because I just read the book. (laughs) Um, So what was wonderful is that she really helped us learn a lot about attitude. I mean, we spent a good three hours just talking about how human beings have attitudes um, and that our brain really forms a lot of what we think about the world. And how we show up. So one of the interesting things for me is that we all have obstacles in our life. Um, I'll go really basic because I love this one because I was teaching my son how to ride his bike at the time when we went through this training. It was early May of uh, 2018. And uh, I was frustrated because my son didn't want to, you know, get on his bike. He was like, give me the training wheels. And I said, okay, well, here's the obstacle. So we all have obstacles, right? No one comes out into the world knowing how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. So that's what part of the training was, is we all have these obstacles. And really, it's about how we overcome the obstacle, this what we call learning process. How are you going to continue to overcome the obstacle and, as an example, learn how to bike? So sometimes we have to fall. Sometimes we have to skin our knee. But the propensity for us to be able to learn how to bike is there. We just have to learn how to balance and learn how to do all these things. But then we can bike or we can swim, or any of these skills that we didn't necessarily know how to do at first. So we really fell in love with motivation-based interviewing because it is a shift talking about really the skills and the passion and the, the internal motivation or the attitude that someone has that helps us understand that they could really take any sort of challenging situation and work through it on their own. So I think that's the purpose of what we're all trying to do, right? We all want leaders at every level of our organization to make the best choices uh, to serve the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And so in in an interview setting, I mean, how does that look as the question? So you, behavioral is yeah. kind of like, why did things go so happily? <laughs> you know, but motivation, <laughs> I mean, what is that question like? Yeah. So you know what? I have a couple of examples that I can share with you. You know, a really easy one is customer service, right? That's a competency or a skill set that I want my team to have. So a great customer service question that we all might be asking is, tell me about a time when you satisfied a customer, right? That would be the behavioral-based interview question. Tell me about a time when you satisfied a customer. The Uh, motivation-based way to ask that is, again, we still want the specific time, but here's the language shift. Tell me about a specific time you dealt with a customer who had an unreasonable request. Nice. So now I shift it to leave it open-ended so they can tell me a positive or negative experience. And the customer's obstacle that they're trying to overcome is this unreasonable request. Um, so I'm not leading them to tell me an answer. And what I really want to say is, okay, it was unreasonable. And did they just go get their community manager or someone else to help overcome the obstacle? Or did they really try option A and then option B and then option C? And maybe the customer is, you know, request was still unreasonable um, and they left not satisfied. 
or maybe we had to say after we went through option A, B, and C, we got them to their manager. But I want to see the pattern of behavior where they're trying to overcome the obstacle instead of just saying, ooh, that's unreasonable. I'm going to go get my manager, right? So there's there's a shift there. Um, another one that I really like is conflict management. So we might say, tell me about a time when uh, you and coworker didn't get along. And, you know, what did you do to rectify the situation, right? Like we're always really curious about how the rectification happened, but let's be honest, how many times can we not rectify an issue with our coworker or with our boss and we just go to another company? Right. So this shift of language is tell me about a specific time when you had a disagreement with a coworker. So again, I'm not asking for what the outcome is. I'm leaving that open for the candidate to fill in the blank. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, without that leading kind of angle, you really are letting them reveal so much more. I think so. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So this sounds like, I mean, you must have felt pretty convinced along with the managers you had in these trainings with the consultant. But ultimately, when you made the decision to go with this type of interview style, was there extra training from there? I mean, how did you communicate? Hey, Timberland is now really moving into this motivation-based approach. Here's how we're teaching you to get there. How did that look? Yep, definitely. So we needed to get the buy-in, like I said, in alignment of all of our senior leaders. And we had that pretty quickly, although, you know, we all had to kind of put our ego aside for a minute because we had been using behavioral-based interview approach for such a long time. So we had to, you know, really kind of play with it and experiment a little bit. Uh, Our learning and development team really had to put Uh, all of our competencies together to say, you know, really, what does it look like to have a successful leasing consultant and what are the competencies that we need them to have? And then we, you know, got really clear on that and said, okay, so we need to continue to roll this out to our, our community managers and our service supervisors, because they're the ones that are out there hiring people day in and day out. So our learning and development team, as well as the HR team, we went out to all of our different regions. We kind of what we uh, call a road show. Uh, where we went to the different regions and we continued on that training path and made sure that everyone understood why we're shifting to look at passion and attitude over skill. You know, we clearly would love to have people that are skilled on our team. However, if we have and we hire passion and attitude first and then skill set as a, as a maybe, uh, then we might be able to hire more high potential candidates. So we went and we made sure that all of our managers were trained And then the next question that you're probably going to ask me is what happens when someone leaves? Because our our community managers might turn over too, right? So we have a process where we bring all of our community managers in sight, and now we're doing it virtually for 2020. Um, But we give them a three-day kind of down and deep overview, not only of motivation-based interviewing, but really of what their job is as a community manager. And we let them know all the resources and tools so that we can say, hey, we're here for you. They meet all of our um, departments in the home office. We go through a deep dive on everything um, to make sure that they're aligned. And what's really great is we don't make them develop the tools. We've developed the tools at our home office so that they can just plug and play. So for all of our positions, we have at least four interview guides that can be used. And our interviewing process has the frontline hiring leader doing an interview. And then we also have their next skip level leader do a secondary interview. So we're using not only one motivation-based interview guide, but two. And there's different competencies that are um, within each of those interview guides. Wow. Upping the ante, as they say. (laughs) I like this a lot. So I'm curious, let's get to results. I mean, how were you defining success once you started this more than a year ago? And how has it looked on the ground once you, you changed approaches? 
Yeah. So one of the uh, claims to fame that Carol has is she said that you're not going to, or you're going to make less hiring mistakes. We still are human. So we might make one or two, right? Uh, She can't claim that you'll never make a hiring mistake again because, you know, we get in our ways sometimes. However, what she has claimed is that your retention rates will increase over time. And when you make a hire, you're probably going to make less hiring mistakes. So those people that tend to leave you within the first one month, three months, six months, you're going to have less of that. Um, and here's the the cool thing is I want to tell you about the results for MBI, but then I just want to back up a little bit and tell you about our growth overall. So we've tripled in size since we've been, you know, since I've been with the company. And in 2019, that was a 13% growth. So in 2018, we had 365 team members. 20, 2019, we went to 412 And by the end of 2020, we'll probably have 465, which is that 13% growth rate. Then we've also had a 13% promotion rate um, over those years. So what's great is I I crunched some numbers right before this podcast. I hadn't done it before this. Uh, More it was anecdotal, but I knew you wanted some tough numbers. (laughs) And you're about to deliver. I can sense it. I'm about to deliver. Well, (laughs) I would say say mostly deliver. I still think we have a little bit of a gap to close. So I'll tell you about that too, because it's Uh not all, you know, roses and sunshine. Um, But for community managers, service techs and service supervisors in that space since we've done the training, we've been able to double their length of service Wow! for those three groups. And then what's great is even in the length of service and not, hire, not having turnover within the first six months, we've, we're also growing that. So anecdotally, the numbers are matching up. We, you know, it's hard year over year because there's so many dynamics that are changing. But when we bucket all of those people, we are seeing the length of service grow and we're not having as much turnover. Our turnover is lowering in that less than six month bucket. We're still not to zero yet because we're constantly moving and ebbing and flowing, but um, I'm seeing the numbers move in the right direction, which is exciting. The one challenge that we're still having is those leasing consultants. I think that that's a position that's front level to the company and there's a lot of growth opportunity within the office structure. Um, We also are not, we don't have a a lot of penetration in all of the states that we're in. So we might lose a leasing consultant to a competitor, but where we're seeing the challenges is part-time leasing consultants. I don't think that's a winning proposition. I think that we need to make a a move to more full-time leasing consultants so we don't lose them. So even though MBI is a piece of the puzzle, and I think it's a huge piece of the puzzle if other people aren't using it, it could be where you're not going to get those high potentials in. Um, But then we're still trying to peel the onion, right? There's still other levers that we can move to um, continue to lower our turnover. But MBI has been a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear too, that you're like, okay, this seems to be going well, but how does it get better? <laughs> I mean, this is really what the kind of very ambitious multifamily leaders listening are thinking. And they're like, all right, we've done this really well, but what's the next step? So well, and here's I love what's really, that Yeah. Here's what's really great. Um, our company loves sports analogies and yay for sports analogies, but we're not playing a finite game. This, I, th- I see it as an infinite game. So there's always an opportunity to be better. I love that. No, I think that's so refreshing to hear. And I think just like in our last couple of minutes, I'm curious how with all of this um, investment you've put into the new hiring strategy, but also retention, how did current managers kind of gel with this new hungry, motivated population? And then just as a final note, like the pandemic has strained any and all work dynamics across the world everywhere. So how did you kind of at first integrate these two kind of new hires and current managers? And then just if you could touch on the ways that with the remote setting, 
many of these dynamics could have been challenged, but maybe people are really still seizing the day together. Definitely. You know, I think Glennis, you hit it on the mark. Like we entered this storm so strong because we were preparing a year, a year and a half ago for this to happen. We really felt like we were in our ninth inning, ninth, you know, whatever it comes after the ninth inning, 10th, right? <laughs> but like baseball, <laughs> I think baseball only has nine innings. I'll leave the math to you. I'll leave the math oh, to you. <laughs> to the HR person. I don't know. We might, we might need to pull on the CFO. Um, All right. Well, we're lost with the podcast host. <laughs> I know, right? So what's interesting is that um, I think 90 plus percent of our organization was on board. I'm pretty sure that 10% of our organization struggled. Uh, I could see that happening in real time because as you're doing a training and you're talking about attitude, you've got to go internal first. So all of us really struggled with, ooh, do we show up with external attitudes? And what does that look like? And what's really wonderful is all of our senior leaders, we gave permission to each other to be called out. We said, oh if we, gosh. yeah, it was awesome. We're like, if we show up with an external attitude, will you please let me know? And so everyone got on board with that and said, yes. Um, and then you have people that are in your purview. And for example, I ordered lunch at one of these trainings and someone came over to me and said, um, my lunch isn't here, but there was three boxes over on the counter. They just happen to have labels on it. It's the Panera lunch. If you're familiar with that. Uh-huh. And this person said, well, my lunch isn't here. I said, well, let's go, you know, let's open the boxes. <laughs> I hadn't even open the boxes. Right. So I'm like, well, even though the label's wrong, maybe what's in the box is actually there in your lunch. And then she looked at the boxes Two, We said, no, because it didn't have this quinoa salad, but one box had the quinoa salad. And she was still adamant that this wasn't her lunch. And I said, well, what kind of sandwich did you order? Turkey? It said ham. I'm like, okay. I was like, can we open up the sandwich? And lo and behold, what do you think we found? <laughs> I really hope the ending is turkey for the purposes of this dramatic story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a turkey sandwich. Oh, Yay, we have it, right? <laughs> so I think the challenge is, is that we have to grow our own awareness first before we can hold people accountable to their awareness. So it's this, you have to learn about yourself first before you can ever think that you understand or know others. So we really, as senior leaders, have focused on our own development and what that looks like to support others because guess what? Then you go into the land of a pandemic, right? Um, And not to say that pandemics didn't exist before this, but now everyone really is experiencing this together. So the right talent really has helped pull us through. Uh, You know, we just had our CapEx tours and I heard anecdotally that there were leasing consultants that pulled out their notebooks and wanted to learn from our senior leaders. I don't think I've heard stories like that before. Um, Also, I'm a parent and I've struggled with the whole back to school season Uh, So I could only imagine that our other team members might be struggling with back to school season. And I sent out um, a lot of resources from our EAP providers. And usually when HR sends out a memo or a notice or information, you don't get a lot of response back. And I was blown away. One of our community managers out in Tennessee, short and simple response, it was to the fact of, I'm not a parent and thank you for sending this information out. I was like, wow. So the person who's not a parent sent me a thank you. <laughs> That's so wonderful. It That's just, so it, wonderful. It, yeah, it just, it warms my heart because I know that we're hiring talent that cares and wants to really be serving our customers and our customers live with us. We have a very unique set of customers. So I need a very unique set of team members. Gina, you're doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And I'm so thank grateful you. that you shared these insights on voices. Well, thank you so much for having me. This It's been my pleasure.
If you'd like to hear from other voices in multifamily or learn how to share your voice, head to voices.happy.co. You can find Voices on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Voices is produced by HappyCo, the leading real-time property operations platform for multifamily and student housing. We're on a mission to elevate property management to community management, prioritizing staff and resident well-being. That starts by listening to you, the voices of multifamily. I'm Glennis Markison. Thanks for listening. Also, feel free to take a minute and rate or review this podcast. That will help us share the voices of multifamily.